0: Hello, I'm Jackie Shea. Welcome to Too Sick and Naked Healing Out Loud, where we vulnerably discuss the ups and downs of healing from illness. Each episode, I interview a brave guest with extensive experience around illness and wellness, and hopefully, we will leave you feeling inspired to warrior on, as well as highly informed about something new. We will be discussing uh, different medical approaches to various illnesses. So, just a friendly reminder that we are not doctors. We are speaking from experience, and if you hear anything that resonates, I highly suggest you run it by your trusted MD to see if it's a good fit for you. Today, I have the pleasure of speaking to my longtime friend, Nick Smoke. Seriously, we went to high school together. Nick is an actor, writer, and cat enthusiast from Bronx, New York, who currently resides in LA. At age 24, he was diagnosed with a a one-in-a-million liver disease known as Budd-Chiari, spelled B-U-D-D-C-H-I-A-R-I syndrome, and had to be listed for a transplant before having a life-saving surgery. Hi, Nick.
1: Hello, Jacqueline.
0: Please don't call me that. Yes, Jackie. <laughs> so I'm so happy to have you here. Thank you for being here.
1: Thank you for having me.
0: <laughs> You're the best. So you were diagnosed in 2013.
1: That is correct.
0: At age 24. Yep. Um, I know you before you got sick, mm-hmm. and I know some of what your life was like beforehand. I know we went to the dean together in high school.
1: <laughs> she made me cut class. I,
0: I did. I really I really loved that day because you were so afraid. Um, and I know that, you know, you were a really seemingly healthy kid in high school. And I know that we did some hiking together, but not really. You weren't really too... Not
1: super outdoorsy, out- but I, I definitely didn't have, like... Um, pain after going on a hike and I was able to spend multiple hours in the day without wanting to fall asleep or um I don't know cry from pain
0: yeah you had energy what was a day in the life like (laughs)
1: energy oh yes that (laughs) word a day in the life um basically I would wake up eat whatever I wanted to Um, As an actor in L.A., I could audition, and I was singularly singularly focused on that, so I was kind of, like, just really pursuing that, working this crazy night job where I would start at 6 and get out at 3 a.m., and I had energy. I would wake up sometimes, like, getting home at 3 a.m. at 9 a.m. for a 9.30 like commercial audition or something and just be ready to go and it wasn't an issue,
0: oh my God, remember that it's like it's not even like, oh, I was flying trapeze, which is something I was into before I got sick, but it's like, oh I could sleep for five hours and be okay the next day
1: yes, yeah, I know
0: it's those simple things
1: simple things that
0: I even forget about now it's so. It's so crazy. Oh, I could work till 3 in the morning, something I never do now. (laughs) True. Um, So before you ended up getting diagnosed, what were your first symptoms that sent you to the doctor?
1: Well, so the year before I got diagnosed, I was feeling ill in my stomach for a bit, and I just kind of chalked it up to, like, poor eating habits, maybe, like, too much dairy or something like that. And then... um,
0: What did that feel like, sorry, in your stomach? Like, were you...
1: It was, like, a heaviness, um, bloating, uh, I started getting constipated, um, I'm talking about poop on air right now, I just realized.
0: Yay! Always bowel movements every episode.
1: Awesome. (laughs) (laughs) And, um, I think towards, like, the end of the year, my legs started hurting from just being out for a few hours, and I was like, wow, why am I having leg pain? And, um uh, that was like around December. I went to go see a doctor and they said, um, it's probably, probably irritable bowel syndrome. Um, and not to have like dairy. And so I tried that for a while and kept doing what I was doing.
0: What kind of doctor did you see that told you that?
1: Um, it was a doctor that I had through my mom's plan through, um, the affordable care act, but because she lives in New York, um, her insurance applied to maybe like two doctors out here and they weren't very good doctors, um, because I guess LA functions with a whole bunch of different insurances. And so I kind of got like quickly seen and brushed off, um, And then the following year, around my birthday, um, I started feeling, like, this lump on my left breast, and I was like, oh, my gosh, do I have breast cancer? Like, I was like, this is ridiculous. I'm a man. I can't get that. Um, And then um, I went to get a mammogram, finally, because I had started working the winter before and had enough money to qualify for health insurance through SAG, uh, which is Screen Actors Guild Health Insurance for Actors, uh, which is really good insurance. And uh, I was kind of waiting for insurance to go see the doctor because I hadn't been feeling well. And the one doctor I saw didn't really help me. And uh, at that time, I got a mammogram. And they told me it was this thing called gynecomastia, which is uh, my hormones were out of whack. And so it just created like this lump there. Um, My estrogen level may have been too high for me. And they suggested I go get my blood work done because that would um, maybe let me know if there was any underlying effect or cause. And um, so I went to go get that done with another doctor thanks to my health insurance. And uh, when I got those results back the following week, the guy was like, have you been having stomach problems? And I was like, yeah. And he was like, well, you know, your liver enzymes are really high and your white blood cell count's really low. And uh, I'd like you to come back in because I want to start testing you for a bunch of different uh, liver diseases. And we should start getting you scanned and all this stuff. And that just became a whole process of getting like four different types of scans in a matter of two weeks they were kind of trying to rush me through the whole thing because it was uh really serious according to them like my levels my numbers and I had no idea I just knew I wasn't feeling well
0: but Kiari is really serious I mean if you look it up it's like it's scary what you see so
1: oh yeah so um I mean, like, I was just, they were mentioning different liver diseases it could be, and then finally I went after all of the scans and saw a specialist who's my doctor to this day, though right now I'm waiting for my Medicare coverage to kick in. Yay, American healthcare! care. Mm-hmm. Um, and he told me he thinks I have something called Um, after I had all of my blood taken at a special hematologist's office. And uh, I looked up what Bud Chiari was, and um, I cried that night, like, really hard, because I thought I was going to die.
0: Because when you look up Bud Chiari, it says that the prognosis is really poor. Yeah. It says that life expectancy is, like... Three years. Three years, at most, actually, from the time of diagnosis.
1: Yeah. Um, Untreated.
0: Untreated. And then... Treated, it, it's even kind of scary what it says.
1: Right. Yeah. Um,
0: <laughs> so you looked that up on your own before you saw the doctor. So you saw that before.
1: Well, they had mentioned the name of what it was. And so I looked it up and, uh, that probably wasn't the smartest thing to do. Cause my head started running to like the worst scenarios of what was going to happen. Um, but then we started with medication to see how that would affect me. Um, which was a really tough process for my body to adjust to. I was injecting blood thinners into myself and taking low bre- blood pressure medication and diuretics and all this kind of stuff that was knocking me out in the middle of the day.
0: Right, and we'll get to that. So what did when they finally spoke to you, what did they say? What did the doctor say the prognosis was?
1: <laughs> well, so this was the first time I would experience... This particular phrase which was not like great to hear in the moment which is you're an interesting case and you don't want to be interesting and I was like no I don't want to be interesting you're saying I don't want to be interesting because um, that means we're gonna have to do a lot of work to figure it out but I just want to be seen as a person not like another piece of paper on your desk that you have to figure out. And to them, they were kind of like excited to have a Bud Chiari case in the office almost because it's like they don't really get that um, mm. so much. And so it was like a lot of people are like, oh, I read about that in the textbook in college. Um, luckily, my doctors knew a little bit more about it. <laughs> but other like people who would ask me what I had or what I was doing there because it was like me around like 70 or 80 year olds. Mostly, oh, I'm yeah. guessing, you know, like.
0: I just went to the. I have lung problems, you know, so I just yeah. went to the Pulmonologist the other day and it was me and about 10, 70 year olds. And I was like, hmm, this is my demographic.
1: Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, yeah. Do they. Have you ever heard? This is why I started my blog too young to be here. I always. Get told that I'm too young to be there, and I'm like, apparently not, because yes, um, here I am.
0: Yes, yeah. I get told that a lot. I also get told that I'm an interesting case, and I also have doctors look at me with dazzling eyes about mm-hmm. being an interesting case because they're kind of excited to crack the code. Yeah, and
1: it's like they lose their bedside manner in that moment, and it, all of a sudden becomes like the the work that they were doing that really excited them, like something to figure out or something new that they
0: Although it's better to have the doctor that's excited to figure something out than the doctor that's like, "Mm, you're too complicated, which I've also had. And they just pass me on. As you know, I don't have great insurance, so that's always been a thing. So they didn't say anything about life expectancy to you.
1: No. I don't know if they really bring that up unless it's like something that,
0: It's dire.
1: terminal, like, you know, you have six months to live sort of thing.
0: But when you – I remember when you told me you were sick, and, you know, I remember you crying. And I remember you saying that you cried for a couple of weeks when you found out, like –
1: Well, it was a complete 180 to my life because I was a young – 20 something year old like pursuing my craft i just gotten signed by a big management company and i was auditioning a lot and uh i'd you know just worked a ton the winter before and was getting all of this money in for the first time i was like how exciting you know like especially for me like growing up in the bronx and not really having much money i was like wow like yay my life's turning around like yay and then um of course all of that money went to fund like maybe two years of my life before I had to start asking friends for money which was a humbling experience
0: right we'll get to that too the rug was kind of pulled out from under you very suddenly um and you know we spent the next after you told me we ended up spending the next couple of years both being extremely sick and living (laughs) together and neighbors um i you know nick got diagnosed in february right of 20 what what when did so i started
1: not feeling well and um i went to the doctor in march when i got my health insurance and then uh all of the tests led to a meeting in April. So April is when I got the official diagnosis.
0: So you got diagnosed in April of 2013, and I got diagnosed in December of
1: 2013.
0: Mm-hmm. And I remember when I had started getting sick, and I had gotten my rashes. That was the beginning for me when I started getting Lyme disease yeah, rashes. I remember. And... Um,
1: I think I was in the hospital, and you texted me and said, "Do you think we have bedbugs?"
0: Oh yeah. Yeah. Great. Very empathetic. One of um, my. Uh,
1: <laughs> <laughs> no, it was like one of my trips to the ER. At that point, it was like a regular thing. So. Right.
0: Like, Nick was in the ER all of the time, so we were living together, and and um, you were in the ER a lot, and you were really sick a lot of the time, and you had had a surgery. You were you were. Um, I
1: well, hadn't had surgery yet. No,
0: but we you. Were, yeah, we later were living together, and you were held up. You were, on the couch for like six weeks. Maybe that was later. While we were living together, though, and your mom was out.
1: Yes,
0: (laughs) Um, yes, yes. That
1: was after Mayo Clinic, though, when I went there.
0: So many things, guys. It's really hard to keep track of these things. But I remember getting my rashes. And and the first thing, like a week in or two weeks in, when I had started to feel really um, bad, I texted Nick saying, like, I'm so sorry for all that you've been going through over the last six months. I, you you're, you have a look on your, face, on your face, on your face, like, face, like he's like, you don't remember this. No,
1: I, I know exactly. I was,
0: so, I was in my bed and I was freaking out and I was crying and I couldn't figure out what was wrong with me and what was happening to my body. And I had this moment where I realized how completely, how much I was lacking empathy for you. And I texted you just saying, like, you've been through so much and I haven't even like took a sec taken a second to, to acknowledge it. Mm. Um, and I remember you being like, that's not true and it's fine or something or thank you. (laughs) Like you had like a very, you know, whatever reaction to it, but it was really a powerful moment for me. And, and it's true. I I didn't respect the experience of being so sick, so young, Mm -hmm. you know, I mean, it's a scary thing. And I think it really takes life threatening crippling illness to know to really know how horrible it is and to really know how to show up for another person that's going through it. Because sure. after that started for me, I think I became a much better friend.
1: Right. Well, I, th- I always think experiencing something for yourself helps you resonate better with the experience of others in a similar position to you. So when you sent me that text, if I did brush it off, I was probably just thankful that you had run to the grocery store to pick up something or taken me to the ER at that point. I was like, you're doing enough for me. Like if you're not super empathetic, uh, I don't really see it because you are helping me out so much, especially because I didn't have, I don't have any family on the coast really. Right. Um,
0: I know. I mean, On that note, please tell us about your friends and family. Like, let's start, though, with how you felt let down. Because I know we both felt really let down by our families. Um, And I can see on your face right now that that's a really emotional topic. And I know it is for a lot of people. And for me, you know, I had total fallout with family members. Um, So tell me about how let down you felt.
1: Um, Well... Kind of from the beginning, uh, when I found out I had to be listed for a transplant, uh, from the beginning, when I found out I had to be listed for a transplant, I asked my mom, who lives in New York, to kind of come out and I told her, you know, like this is happening. And she had kind of steadily been keeping up with it from a distance. And when I asked her to kind of like put, Work on hold and come out here. She was trying to get me to reschedule it with the hospital, which was like kind of a I don't really have time to like push it back. Um, like they're saying I need to get this done now. And at first she made it seem like she couldn't get it off from work because she couldn't get covered. Um, And then she started a conversation about if she was going to come out here, she wouldn't want to just come out for the one or two days it took to get listed. Like she would take vacation time so that she could also spend time out here and get to do other things. And I was like, mom, it's not about you getting to like vacation. I'm (laughs) not in the best like health right now. And I need somebody there and you have to be my primary caretaker. And um, I, I, Kept wondering if, like, it was a way for her to, like, push, to push it away was a way for her to, like, not fully process that her child was sick. And I can understand that, but also at the same time, it was like, I need you, Mom. Um, But I also have um, a godmother in San Francisco, and she's closer, and um, when I texted her about it, she said, of course, right away, which is um, kind of the response I wish my mom had.
0: Yeah, my mom me. My mom was similar at first. It took her a really long time to be able to deal with the fact that I was sick, and it took her a really long time to be able to show up for me. The first couple times I saw her when I was sick, it was all about vacationing mm-hmm. for her, Yeah, and that was really hard. And if you don't mind, will you tell us what your dad's response was?
1: Um, well, I guess my mom... So I didn't talk to my mom for a while, actually, until she kind of just bought a ticket and showed up later that fall. Um, And we didn't have a good time together. But uh, from what she said, my dad was trying to keep up with this situation through her. But uh, he never called me. Yeah. And actually, (laughs) later on when I had surgery, they... uh, Oops, sorry. I'm going to put my phone on silent. Uh, (laughs) later on when um, I had surgery they uh, moved like the same time that I was having surgery and so my mom was out here right after they moved and my dad was calling and complaining about the neighbors and like sort of like making his issues in New York her priority when really she should have just been focusing on like my health Um, which goes to show the selfishness of my dad continuously
0: yeah your dad has been extremely selfish were you let down by any of your friends
1: um yeah I mean it's hard not to feel let down by people uh but I also I try to come at it from a place of understanding that they don't know what I'm going through but like people who would make plans with me if I had to cancel I don't I think they thought I was being flaky as opposed to just, I couldn't do it. Like I was really sick. Um, And some of them saw me as being really sick and like understood that. But I also felt like a lot of them just kind of like didn't want to be around me or like shied away. And so um, there's this other level of like loneliness and just being completely with yourself and not having anybody reach out.
0: Yeah, you're to you. your too young to be here. Logo is of um, you like a person under a cloud and rain, right? And behind that person is like two other peers taking a selfie in the sunshine. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and I as a young person who lived like down the street from the Hollywood sign where everyone was constantly taking selfies and looking happy. And I felt like totally isolated in the world. That logo always really rang true for me. (laughs) Um, even though it's so depressing. (laughs) Um, but you, you know, I felt, I felt lonely a lot too. Um, And it always helped to have peers that did understand. And unfortunately, so many peers do understand illness now. Mm -hmm. Um, So how did you, I know that you got a lot of support also, and I think it's really important for people that were sick or are sick to talk about what kind of support was the most helpful. For people that are listening that aren't sick and are just like the loved ones of others, this is like the ways that you can be helpful You know, tell us about some of the ways that you felt most carried and supported.
1: Um, Well, so I personally have a hard time with asking for help. And I didn't really reach out to too many people. But if people reached out to just check in on me, that meant a lot to me. Um,
0: You did a fundraiser.
1: Yeah, I was also going to say I also... Did a fundraiser and, like, financially, like, I was a wreck after um, everything was said and done and so much debt. And um, I was, like, so... um, Humbled by how many people that I had known all my life, just like releasing that thing on Facebook, how many people shared it, how many people donated and donated more than once, how many people sent me messages and were so supportive. Um, people I hadn't spoken to in years, people that I spoke to every day, um, people that I don't even really know that well, and strangers too.
0: I just want to say when you're doing a fundraiser, it's the tiniest thing makes a difference. Like the person that donates $5, you know, just because they're donating, they're noticing, they're acknowledging the person who likes the Facebook post, the person who shares the Facebook post, the person who sends a message saying, I'm so sorry you're going through this. I read your story. You know, it's like Mm -hmm. if you don't have enough money to give, all of those things actually make a difference.
1: Yeah. Which is anytime I see now anybody online with any sort of issue if they haven't reached out to me I always reach out to them automatically just because I've gone through this whole thing I'm so sensitive to like I'm so sorry you're going through this like what's going on and uh, do you have any questions about like anything because I've gone through so much I might not have all the answers or they might just be particular to me but if I can offer any help just please always let me know and a lot of people reach out Um, which I love because I love that um, I have like this way of helping people and giving back to the community.
0: Yeah, I know. So great. Um, So let's talk about some medical stuff during the time where they were trying to find the treatment that would work and you were on the transplant list. What are the changes you needed to make to stay alive? Essentially (laughs) like your diet changes. What if people have liver disease, what are the things that are most important for them to do?
1: Oh my gosh. Uh, well for me in particular, it was like a total change because I used to eat whatever I wanted and it was all this yummy, salty fried food. And it was like, all of that was gone. And I love savory food and people with liver disease, like you need an under regular people should have like an under 2000 milligram sodium diet. And I had to have even less than that. And like Forget about eating out and trying to stick to that.
0: What does salt do to your liver?
1: So, uh, well, salt just um, makes your body retain water. And so I'm already uh, retaining water because my liver was leaking, like, liquid into my body. And so it would just stay in my legs and stay in my, like, gut and stuff. And I think you've seen the pictures one time. I got pumped... Uh, I had like a paracentesis in my stomach where they took, they like numbed an area and put a needle in and drained liquid from my belly. And it was like two full two liter bottles of water. And I felt so light afterwards. I felt like I'd lost like 30 pounds. And then after my surgery was done, I went from like 180 to about 138. So it was like 50 pounds of like just water weight that had disappeared from me and then I put it all back and, and I mean it's in not water weight.
0: In food. Yeah which is thank God because yeah. Nick when he was 138 was like scary scary skinny even though he was like I'm an actor in LA and I love it. <laughs> I was um, like my gull
1: weight finally. Yeah nope.
0: <laughs> um, you looked sick. <laughs> um, so, so a low sodium diet is super important.
1: Low sodium is yeah very important. I think any doctor who's worth their weight and goals will tell you that if they're a liver doctor,
0: right. What about um, what about meat? You had to stay away from meat.
1: Well, so nobody actually advised me on that. Um, I was talking to different nutritionists and reading about it, and I saw like some of the side effects of what having liver disease could be. Um, so I had tried veganism for a while, and that made me feel better. It made me feel less stuffed. Um, and that means like no dairy, no meat for people who aren't in uh, in the know. And uh, then after my surgery, when I started feeling a little better, I started eating meat again. But um, there was this thing because all of the toxins were bypassing my liver at this point after my surgery where uh, ammonia would get trapped in my brain from animal proteins. And so nobody had told me really that that was the main issue and so i started getting confused and like all this stuff and once i got rid of meat from my system like that that stopped but that was ammonia really was scary. going to
0: your brain and it created encephalopathy right yeah
1: uh what was it um hyper i can't even remember the name because it's so long it's yeah. just like but basically, you were in the hospital yeah and just imagine uh me being like 20 Seven at the time and uh, starting to feel like I had dementia, that was not fun.
0: Right. So the meat, um, the meat thing was kind of a big right. deal. And then what are what? But are
1: beans s- are really good to absorb um, toxins in your body, and so those should be like a staple food. I think of anybody with liver disease.
0: Cool, that's great information. Yeah. I eat a lot of beans too. Yeah, um, and we've done. Nick and I have done raw diets together. <laughs> the first time we did a raw diet together, um, I was still drinking coffee, and so like five hours into the five hours into the diet where I couldn't have caffeine, I texted you, being like. I'm die. I'm in bed. I can't get out of bed. I'm dying. And Nick was like, "Jackie, it's been five <laughs> hours."
1: Also, you cheated from the beginning because your first meal you put some almond plant
0: milk. <laughs> I put almond in milk in water. In a smoothie because it was a smoothie, and I was like, "Well, wh- I need to put almond milk in it." And Nick was like, "No, you put water in it." <laughs> anyway, I have a very healthy diet, but I did. How not. long
1: did you last on it? Because it was supposed to be thirty days. Seven days,
0: days because. I got really, really weak. We did like seven days.
1: I I thought we did two weeks.
0: Maybe, but I know that I was like weak and I had lost so much weight and I was like down to 95 pounds. Well,
1: I lost a lot of water weight on it.
0: Yeah, it was healthy. I dropped 10
1: pounds like in a week, which was crazy. Probably because I wasn't adding salt to my food too, which is why it's really important for (laughs) me to stay away from sodium, though it's very difficult.
0: But you do a great job. And then so after your shunt was placed, which was the life-saving surgery for you.
1: Right. Your, well, that was part one of the the whole thing. It was like they put a shunt to get the we never explained what but kiari actually is, now that I think about it.
0: No, I mean we can, you should, but it's it's very confusing to me. Well still. here's
1: here's what I'll say. Okay. Is so but kiari basically is um, the veins between my liver and my heart. There are three of them. And two of them were completely blocked because of clotting I have a clotting issue with my blood and the third one was like partially blocked so very little blood was able to get through to my heart and pump and so it started backflowing and creating all of this these issues where like veins were popping out on my body and like that's what created all of the like trouble with my stomach and all and re- retaining water and all of that stuff and um, uh, so what we ended up having Done was we placed a shunt in me, and then a uh, like little stent in like the main vein that runs from your leg all the way up to your heart, called the inferior vena cava or IVC. I'm a doctor now. No, I'm I'm actually not a doctor. <laughs> I, don't, I don't think I should say that on your podcast. I'm not. I just feel like I know like. Um, medical terminology, and so I feel <laughs> like I could be a doctor, but I didn't go to medical school or anything.
0: <laughs> so they placed a stint in your IVC.
1: Yeah, uh, because right after the first part of the surgery, I was still really bloated, and I was at home for two weeks. And then one night, I like had a fever of 104 degrees because I was not doing well after the surgery, and people were like, "What's going on?" And so like I went to the ER. And they decided radiologically uh, they were going to take a needle and put a little um, stint in my vein, like on, like through a machine, like they were watching on a machine and like this doctor just placed it like with a very fine needle, just like put it in the middle of my thing and it widened the path of the vein. And then everything flushed out. It was amazing. Wow. Whoever thought of that, which I think was my um, main doctor at the, time. Dr. Calhoun, he was my surgeon. Wow. Stephen Calhoun saved my life. Dr. Graham Wolf, Saul Hamburg.
0: Also saved your life.
1: Cedars. Yeah.
0: Wow. That's so amazing. So after those two things were done, that's when you started or three things.
1: uh, Yeah. That's when I started feeling like, oh my gosh, I'm amazing. And then I kind of fell back into bad patterns of eating because
0: and, you started to feel good what yeah, year was partying?
1: that that was at the end of 2014 so it was like the year after was it really my diagnosis yeah
0: that's when you started to get better that is not what i remember
1: that was i started getting better right after the surgery and then the following year or at the end of that year and then into the following year, then all of my potassium level and iron level stuff started happening. And so I would have to go to the doctor and get blood transfusions or iron infusions.
0: Oh my god. And
1: potassium infusions, and just like that was a full year of that. And in the summer, that was the summer 2015, where the first instance of uh hepatic encephalopathy, which is the early dementia feeling because the ammonia was trapped in my brain. That's when that started happening. When
0: did you get taken off of the transplant list?
1: I got taken off of the transplant list uh, this year.
0: Right. And so so what led up to you getting taken off of the transplant list? Just those three things resulting in you doing really well for a period of time?
1: Those three things. And then I think what changed for me this year is my body acclimated to its new normal. And uh, I wasn't eating vegan last year, and this year I have been eating vegan, and my body has been responding so well to the diet that I've been on.
0: Amazing. So this is a huge triumph that you've gotten taken off the transplant list. I mean, huge. I
1: mean, I'm inactive. Like, they can press a button, and I'm back on it again if anything should happen. But as far as the doctor the new um, head of surgery there was concerned. He said if they offered you a liver tomorrow, I would say don't take it because you'd probably be worse off after.
0: Wow. So as people await a liver transplant or or a shunt or whatever ends up working for them, what are the best suggestions you can give? Would it be the low sodium, no alcohol, veganism? Oh,
1: I mean, like alcohol is completely out of the right, question. Right, right, right. <laughs> I just wanted to say yeah. that out
0: loud. Oh, and yeah, And
1: I... Just, Still don't drink to this day. And I didn't even really drink before the whole thing.
0: And what about, like, exercise or not exercise? Like, have you found any I other things? I think
1: exercise is important, though. Like, <laughs> I'm struggling to, like, motivate myself at the moment.
0: Mm-hmm. Anything else that you think is really important for people to to do, like, more rest or, you know?
1: Always take rest when you need it, I think. And um, the biggest issue i think i had um was i was so focused on all of the like medical like um physical stuff that like all of the like mental emotional work that i should have been doing along with it kind of fell to the wayside and i ignored it up up until it kind of like hit a a point when I when the hepatic encephalopathy happened in 2015, um, where I was kind of like, I don't, um, I don't feel like I want to live anymore. Because at that point I'd been fighting for so long, and then it just felt like that was a symptom that I was just not willing to allow to happen to me. Yeah. I just didn't want to. You
0: didn't want to live anymore. You I hit didn't. pockets like that.
1: Oh yeah, absolutely. It's and so hard.
0: Right, and so today, I know that your life is, you got through them. You did, you put one foot in front of the other. You did the next right thing. You stayed on the planet. And some days for me, it was like that too, you know, like just stay alive today. Yes. (laughs) And it will hopefully pass. And today, here we are, we're sitting, having this conversation. Your partner is outside. Like you found love and you... You know, you love cooking today, and you wrote a script based on this. And, like, you've, like, what are some of the, because you stuck around and you just kept fighting, what are some of the amazing,
1: the positives
0: the, well the triumphs i mean i love that you cook so much now you're yeah. really into being a vegan That's that true. brings you a lot of joy i know that buying vegetables brings you a lot of joy <laughs> look back in the day like i was really into eating salad and i was like all about the kale jackie
1: and- loves lettuce
0: <laughs> I, like, I love like, lettuce no-
1: nobody loves lettuce <laughs>
0: Jackie I... loves lettuce, so it was really annoying to Nick. But now Nick is all like, "Look at this zucchini noodle, blah blah blah," that I made. Um, so you know, you've got that, and you are, I think, a better. I think you're a more loving friend now, even. Oh,
1: okay. Well, that's good to hear. I mean, a
0: lot of things have changed, and you, like I said, I mean, it's deepened your, your. Um, I mean, you're right. You can write probably you write differently now and mm-hmm. you it deepened your script and what are some of the things I guess that came out?
1: Well, I think like, um, while I was going through it, I had a lot of time to take a step back from my life and, you know, I was so focused on my career and doing this sort of idea of what I thought I should be doing and how I was going to make it to be what I wanted to be or what other people expected of me. And then that kind of didn't feel as important anymore because it was like, what if these are my last couple of years here? And now I just look at that time and I'm like, I'm so lucky I had it because if I didn't, I might still be going along the same path and not realize that things that are, actually super important to me like friends and like love um and
0: your value system changed, yeah
1: yeah which is a so. really
0: big deal i mean
1: or i think i solidified what uh what my value system was
0: yeah that's really beautiful yeah will you for fun tell us a couple of your favorite recipes because i know that's kind of fun for you
1: favorite recipes oh my gosh um
0: or favorite you know restaurants because i know that's also really fun for you
1: well there's a lot of great vegan restaurants but if you're not in la that won't be helpful to you so let me let me think of a recipe really quickly um what did i just make um i made some like jerk eggplant a couple of weeks ago which is like jerk chicken jamaican yeah jamaican food jerk (laughs) chicken um, but I used eggplant because I'm a vegan, and we made it with some coconut rice and lime zest in it. It was really good. Yum. Um,
0: sounds delicious.
1: I also, I really love making, like, salads with heirloom tomatoes and avocado and putting some olive oil on it. Bad.
0: Amazing. Ass.
1: Can I say Bad that word? Bad ass.
0: You can say ass. Uh,
1: can you curse on <laughs> you podcasts? Can curse, yeah. I don't listen to them, but I'll probably listen to this one because I'm on it. <laughs>
0: So we have five minutes. I just want to ask you how you balance this big, full life now with self-care.
1: You know, it's always a learning process. I have to say that sometimes I forget to take care of myself, and I have to remind myself if I'm not feeling well today, I can't push it Um, because I'm not who I was before the surgery still, even though it saved my life and I'm not as bad as I was. I am a different person and so if I get to a point where it's just like I can't do it I have to be able to be like it, it's disappointing to me but allowing myself the time to rest and I don't make myself feel guilty about it either. I was like if I can't work today then I'm not going to be able to work today. I'm going to call out and I'll sit there and I'll watch TV or I'll read a book.
0: Amazing. Or I'll
1: drink some tea eat some food whatever it is really a daily
0: acceptance yeah it's like it is last night i went roller skating (laughs) and i had like (laughs) and i had like a big meditation retreat yesterday and then i went roller skating at night and i wanted to get up at 8 a.m today but i was too tired (laughs) i had to sleep till 11 and i don't want that to be my truth you know like i want to be able to roller skate all night and wake up in the morning and like be fine. But I'm in a little bit of pain and I was tired and it's just like I have to accept that even though I'm so much better and I'm really doing well today I'm not operating at 100% and like I'm not who I was before. I got sick. Yeah. So it is really a daily acceptance and that's a great that's a great reminder for us to not push it, to drink some tea, to be able to watch TV, read a book, take it easy. Mm-hmm. Um, it's hard in our society. So thank you for reminding us and thank you so much for being here.
1: You're welcome.
0: <laughs> you can Thank find, you for
1: having me, Jackie.
0: You're welcome. You can find Nick on Instagram at Mr. Nikki S, and on Twitter at Nick Smoke, right?
1: Nicky Smoke.
0: At Nicky Smoke, sorry. And on wow,
1: Nick- way to... A- bomb my twitter
0: Nikki tag. smoke you should find him on there for some good political stuff right
1: <laughs> i guess
0: <laughs>
1: i'm not a trump supporter so if you're a liberal then yes
0: well yeah you're not even a hillary supporter oh snap well
1: i don't really agree with a lot of her politics <laughs> though i will say i've voted for her in the general even though Thank i you. keep getting shamed about wanting bernie <laughs> in the primary see no. don't get me talking
0: about i'm with you though. i'm <laughs> with you um and on the tumblr blog which talks nothing about politics <laughs> you can find <laughs> like too young to be here right yeah anything else anywhere else people can find you um, they can write to you directly from your Tumblr blog, right?
1: Uh, yeah, I think so. Or if they want, like, they can just private message me if they have any questions.
0: Private message on Facebook or on Instagram or on um, Twitter.
1: Yeah, Instagram right? or Twitter. Yeah. So if you
0: have liver disease or you know somebody with it, and Nick is a great person to talk to. Mm-hmm. Thank you. Thank you. Bye.